So we're going to look this morning at uh, 3 John, uh, as we've been continuing that at verses 9 and 10. Text is uh, in the bulletin and up uh, on the screens behind me. Uh, But before I read that, uh, let me pray. Join me in praying. Lord, we come to you today and we thank you for uh, the fact that um, as we've confessed to you uh, this morning in this song that we just sang, that we don't know how to love, and so we need you to teach us. Lord, for most of us, we think that love just comes easy, when in fact, uh, the cross tells us uh, something richer, better, fuller, more wonderful. And so, as we think through that today, what would it look like for Jesus to live in this church? Help us, we pray. Uh, Give us the gift of humility to be quick to repent, uh, quick to trust, uh, quick uh, to uh, take second place. We ask this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. So, 3 John uh, verses 9 and 10, Texas in the bulletin, also up on uh, the screens behind me. This is God's Word. We should hear it and respond to it as such this morning. I have written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So if I come, I will bring up what he is doing, talking wicked nonsense against us, and not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. What a great passage. (laughs) And and I'll tell you why it's such a great passage. You know, we, we, we have this view of the church, right, that the church is the good people, like us, who uh, are striving against the bad people out there. Uh, And if the bad people out there would just straighten up, it would get better for us in here. But if you read the New Testament, what you figure out is actually self-appointed church bosses and know-it-alls and uh, people who want to be in charge and, uh, wait, what did he say? put themselves first, and that doesn't describe anybody in here, right? No one puts themselves first, ever. (laughs) This is who the church is. This is who Jesus looks for. These are the kind of people that he draws to himself. And so as we read about this little controversy that's going on here with Diotrephes, God bless him, you know, um, I'm sure he would have thought differently about what he was doing if he'd known 2,000 years later, people still talking about you, Diotrephes. (laughs) John's getting the last laugh here, buddy. But, um, (laughs) but, But the fact of the matter is, poor old Diotrephes, right? I, I, I feel like uh, I feel like I need to take that guy to lunch because uh, I'm like you you put yourself first. We got something in common. Let's go get a cup of coffee and talk about it. But of course, that would be a short conversation because um, if I'm putting myself first and he's putting himself first, there's going to be a conflict sooner or later over that, right? But uh, the fact is, we're all diatrophies. We all struggle with that. 
<clears throat> and as we read here about John, you know, John had last week commended Gaius for receiving, for extending himself, for, for practicing hospitality for these teachers that the, the Apostle John had sent there. But Diotrephes not only rejected them, put himself first, but also put people out of the church, probably Gaius, probably threw him out of the church for receiving those people. Now, here's the thing you need to know before we go any further. And that is, if you were to interview Diotrephes and you were to say to him, Diotrephes, are you putting yourself first? You know what he would say? No. And he would be sincere. If you were to say to Diotrephes, Diotrephes, do you not care about the church? He would say, I, I live and die for the church of Jesus Christ. He, I'm certain he believes that. Well, I'm giving him the benefit of the doubt. I, 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 I certainly believe that. I don't think he said about like, ha ha, I want to be pastor of this church. And as being pastor of this church, I want to undermine the work of God there. I want to shipwreck people's faith. I, I want to uh, deny the authority of an apostle. No. Because <clears throat> here's the thing, and this is what makes the church so essential. This is what makes this epistle essential. This is what makes our life together essential. Diotrephes has a blind spot. Anytime somebody comes to you and says, hey, I have a blind spot here, don't believe them. Because by definition, they don't know. After millions of years of paying tuition, we're finally done with that so I could get Marty a car that, uh, you know, uh, was that someone named Bush or Clinton wasn't president when that car was made. And so, so we got her this car and I'm driving it the first day. And when you're driving down the road in this car, if you get close to the yellow line, it beeps at you. And this light fires up here next to you. And I'm like, I don't like that. I want to be able to cross that line anytime I want to. And I don't want this car telling me not to do it. I don't want to know about my blind spot. I don't have a blind spot. Or, or if I do, let me have my blind spot, right? We need each other to say, you got a blind spot here. And we need to have the work of Christ in us to say, I will listen to you when you tell me that. This is funny in some ways, uh, but I am here to tell you in all seriousness that this issue in this text is an existential crisis for the Church of Jesus Christ in the United States of America today. Now, I don't like doomsayers. I don't like doom trolling. I don't like looking for bad news. But over the last year or two, if you read anything about the, uh, the believing church in America, one of the things that you read is young people are leaving it in droves. I don't know how true that is. Our tendency when we hear that is to say, oh, well, they can't, you know, they've, they've gone all progressive on us and they can't take the, the hard teaching that the Bible has. The problem with that is, and I'm sure there's some that are doing that, but the problem is the, the majority of folks who have left have said that they're leaving for another reason. It's not because the church believes hard things. 
It's because the church says it believes hard things and does something else. Remember, our Lord said that the world will know we are his followers by how many arguments we win, by how many seats we win in Congress, by how many Supreme Court justices we can get seated. There's nothing wrong with standing for righteousness. We absolutely should. But the spiritual, supernatural indicator that Jesus is risen from the dead and that his spirit is alive in his people is that we love our enemies. After all, if Jesus were only a teacher, we shouldn't take him at his word when he says, love your enemies, except that the cross is the supreme example of Jesus loving us when we were his declared enemies. And so wherever we go, whatever we think, as we stand for righteousness, as we should, the reality, the truth for us today is that the evidence that the gospel is true is not going to be our ability to argue one another into gospel submission, but our ability to submit to one another in love because our Savior is alive and he did that for us. This issue that we're talking about, the issue that Diotrephes has here, is, is a common issue. The word that describes this issue begins with H and ends with Y, and it's not hey, it's hypocrisy. Everybody's a hypocrite, by the way, so let me be clear about that. It's not just a few of you, it's not just the Diotrephes here who are among us are hypocrites. We're all hypocrites, right? None of us fully lives up in our behavior to the things that we say we believe we're, that are true. We say that you should floss your teeth. And sometimes I'm just too tired. I don't floss. I'm a hypocrite when it comes to flossing. I do it most of the time. But some nights I'm like, ah, oh, I just can't do it. Right? It's important. It's healthy. It's a good thing. And you know what? Confession here, sometimes I don't get it done. The truth is, Jesus is Lord. You're bought and paid for sinner by the blood of Jesus Christ. And sometimes we don't get it done. Now, let me just be clear about that before we go any further. Uh, and I'm not going to tell you that that's okay because it's not okay. If it were okay, Jesus wouldn't have had to die. It's not okay. But these are the kind of people that Jesus finds attractive. The kind of people that Jesus loves to go after are the people who struggle to love. The people who, are, uh, uh, who struggle to not only take what it is they believe, but to actually put it into practice in their lives. To actually have 
you know, some indication that there's something spiritual and actually supernatural that the spirit that raised, same spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is in Steve Shelby changing him. Those of us who struggle with that, who want to see that, are the kind of people that Jesus seeks. So as we look at this today, and as we think a little bit about diatrophies and working hard not to be diatrophies, let's remember this. Jesus loves you and me. He loves diatrophies. And he's not done with us yet, right? So let's, let's think a little bit about, so what exactly is diatrophy's uh, uh, <clears throat> problem? Now, usually when we come at uh, people that are being challenged in the New Testament, we think they're teaching a false gospel. They're, they're teaching that Jesus didn't come in the flesh. They're, they're teaching that Jesus didn't rise from the dead. Diatrophies has impeccable theology. He has impeccable understanding of the truth. The, the problem is it is not working in his life. Somehow or other, this truth that he's able to teach, that he's able to, to hold up before others, it's not working in him. It's not changing him. It's not allowing him to bear fruit. When people see diatrophies, they don't see Jesus. They see somebody who knows a lot. They see somebody who's able to teach. They see somebody who's able to wield some authority, but they don't see the shepherd of souls. They don't see uh, the one who was the Lamb of God, right? And so, so it, John is not challenging his teaching, right? He's challenging the way he's living. As, as Paul says in Philippians, join together in following my example, brothers and sisters, just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. For as I have often told you before, and now tell you again, even with tears, Many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. The, the, those who live as enemies of the cross of Christ are not people outside the church. Those are the people in the church. We claim the cross, but by our inability to love those with whom we differ, we are looking like enemies of the cross, right? Next slide. Secondly, what we know about him is he is a poor leader and shepherd. What we recognize here is that John had sent, had, has written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, doesn't acknowledge our authority. Now, just imagine that, right? Diotrephes must think, must feel either threatened or afraid or something because he is willing to take a letter written by an apostle of Jesus Christ, someone who leaned against Jesus' breast, at the uh, Last Supper, someone whom Jesus loved so much that he entrusted the care of his own mother to, right? <laughs> right? And so, so Diotrephes is like, ignore that old man. We don't, we don't want his stuff. I know he sent these teachers over here to help us, but you know what? Forget that. I know better, Right? And so, so whatever, whatever else may be going on here, whether he's threatened, whether he thinks he knows better, what, whatever he is, he's choosing 
to usurp this authority and to make himself the measure of what needs to happen here. Now, now the thing that's amazing about this is, is fortunately, uh, just a, a quick primer on Presbyterianism, this is less likely to happen here. And the reason for that is because we're big believers in this church that everybody is depraved. And in fact, people with power are the most depraved. Right? We, we love that. And because we love it so much, we don't like to give anybody very much power, which is a good thing. And so, so when someone comes to you and says, as an elder, I'm telling you this, take it with a grain of salt. And I'm not kidding about that. That's deadly serious. Yeah, I'm deadly serious because there's a little bit of authority there. But when someone comes to you and says, the group of elders, the session of the church has arrived at a decision, you need to take that very seriously. Very seriously. Because one of us is likely to speak out of selfish ambition because none, now, unlike most churches, none of our elders ever put themselves first. But in those churches where that does happen, right, you, you got to be careful if you just hear just from one. But when the plurality of elders says, you know, we prayed about this, we've sought God about this, and this is, this is what we think God is going to have us to do, we, we, we submit to that. Now, an individual elder has some authority, but nothing compared to the authority when the whole group speaks, right? So Diotrephes here is, is usurping to himself authority to make decisions for the church that should never happen. So if you find yourself in a communion, if you find yourself in a church where that kind of stuff is happening, you, you're, you're probably in a bit of trouble, uh, because we are, you know, with the, 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 the truth is how ironic, you know, I was thinking about that Nebuchadnezzar passage that Robin read earlier, you know, isn't it funny how these guys get in trouble when they go up on their roofs? You know, Nebuchadnezzar went up there on his roof and like, I'm the best, and God laughed at him. And David went up on his roof and thought, I want that, and it didn't work out for his family or his nation, did it? right? Because we know that power like that ultimately can lead weak, self-centered, self-directed sinners astray. So, so the love of God is, is manifest us in the fact that we have one another. So when Diotrephes sets himself apart like this, he's really, really treading on, on, on thin ice, he likes to put himself first. Now, we read that and we think, well, that's a, that's a terrible thing, but we all do that all the time, don't we? I mean, that, that is the bent of our hearts, is to put ourselves first. It is the bent of indicate, in, inclination of our, ourselves because we are fearful and we are easily knocked off track that we would want to put ourselves first because we might disappear or someone might not see us. Someone might not notice us. Our, our position might fall away, or somehow or other, we might not get the credit we deserve. And yet, we read about our Savior, what there was nothing about him physically. There was nothing about him that would ultimately attract us. If Jesus walked in, and when Jesus walked in most rooms, people didn't jump up and say, there's 
there's God. And so as we, as we think about this, <clears throat> the, re, the, the truth is, um, uh, as we kind of unpack that, we must confess that left to our own devices, we too would be a diatrophies. Right? How did he get to be a leader in the church? We're not really told that, but I think I know. I, I have some speculation here. This is a bit of speculation, but I think he got to be a leader in the church because I think he was gifted. I think he was charismatic in the sense that people liked him and they, they thought he was, you know, he got mad at the same things they got mad at. And if you want to get somewhere in America today, get mad at it enough things that enough other people are mad at and you can get a following. And so I think what, what, it, what I think he, and trust me, there's plenty to be, plenty to be mad at, but uh, he didn't have the character of a leader. He didn't have the heart of a shepherd. Uh, the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep and Diotrephes was protecting his position. So the church tends to, to give itself and tends to pour out its adulation upon gifts before character. And I, think that's what, that just, I think that's what John is worrying about uh, uh, in this. I don't even think Diotrephes really understands that he's doing this. I think he thinks he, he knows what's best, but he's closed himself off from anyone else. He's lacked, he lacks the humility to be able to see and understand that what uh, he is uh, doing is getting the, tra- the church off track. And so John is going to come and see him. And it says uh, if he, um, that uh, if I come, I will bring up what he is doing, talking w- wicked nonsense against us. So in other words, what Diotrephes has done, typically we deal with one another's sins that are private, privately, and that's the way we should do it. But this, this is a public sin. This is one against the church and against John himself. And so John's going to deal with it publicly. John's going to call him out. You know, you, you misled the church. You threw Gaius out of the church. You blocked uh, these teachers that I sent there, and you ignored my letter. It's time to repent, right? Next slide. So how do we explain the sharp words and drastic response on the part of the apostle of love? Remember, that's the way John presents himself, right, as the apostle of, of love. Do they not represent a contradiction to his teaching? More probably, they represent the response of one who sensed that the very nature of the gospel was threatened by such hypocritical conduct on the part of one of its ministers. Diotrephes' actions against the elder were reprehensible by any standard, but they were even more so on the part of one who probably had been, on, had been of the fellowship of the elders, who knew the message of love that had been received and had pledged to live a life according to the commandment given by the Son of God. And so what, what's, what's happening here is, is that Diotrephes knows, can give you the, the theological truths of things, and yet he l- leads and lives as if the gospel weren't true. And uh, when we select leaders in the church, we read from 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1, and one of the things that we read about in there is not just that someone can teach or that they can pray or that they can lead, uh, but what does their family have to say? And that's important because what their, what their family has to say, you know, 
is because they live with you. They know and see what your life's really like. Not just what your public persona, your public ministry is. They live with you. And please understand here, I'm not saying that, um, that kind of, you know, we're, we're, that there's this impossible standard. What I'm saying is, you know, I wish my kids would say about me, you know, dad was often impatient and dad repented of his re- impatience. Dad was often quick to anger, but dad always repented of his temper. That's fruitful. That's the work of, of Christ there, right? So here's the thing, folks. We say we believe the gospel. We can argue people into oblivion. We can exert power and that sort of stuff. But the way the gospel works is, is that the only way anybody knows that Jesus is alive in you is if they see Jesus in you. And the only way they will see Jesus in you as you hold forth his truth in love to those to whom you may be an enemy. Paul writes this in uh, Philippians 2. Next slide, Luke. Uh, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. He didn't, he was, he was first. He did, there was no need for him to put himself first. He was first and he gave it up. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that the name of Jesus. Every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue can acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And that word there, work out your salvation in fear and trembling, doesn't mean that individually we work out the interplay between faith and works. It means as a community together, we work out this thing called the gospel and the way in which we love each other. You can say, you know, this is, this, this, this is hard stuff, isn't it? Uh, Jack Miller used to talk about the fact that a lot of Christians are like lawnmowers and that uh, uh, look beautiful, crank on the first pull, mulch everything that they touch, but because the blade is set so high, they go across the yard and they never touch a blade of grass. They don't actually do what it is they are, are created to do. They look good, they're clean, they're efficient, and yet they fail in their mission. Our mission is to exalt exalt Christ by our love, by our proclamation of his love, and by living like it makes a difference to us. So how do you do this? How does this happen? Well, um, it's very simple. Here's the place to start. There are two places to start. The first one is this. We're a Protestant church, right? 
Did you know that? We're a Protestant church. And did you know that our founder of the Protestant church was a guy named Martin Luther? You know how he got it started? He went, <laughs> he went and knocked 95 theses on the church door. 95. He didn't have a good editor, right? Uh, couldn't you have brought that down to about 40, 50? But he felt like 95 was a good number. You know what the, have you ever read them? Martin Luther's 95 Theses. Yeah. You know what the first one says? First one says that the whole life of the Christian is a life of repentance. Whole life of the Christians, a life of repentance. Jesus, help me a sinner. Help me. Oh, I'm a mess. Help me. He loves that. So that's the place to begin. You know, I'm not very loving. Jesus, help me. But here's the second one, and this one might be a little bit more challenging. We've acknowledged that like Diotrephes, we like to put ourselves first and we might have a blind spot. By definition, you can't see your blind spot, but I bet there's someone sitting near to you who if you went to them and said, do I have a blind spot in loving you? They'd love to help you in that project. <laughs> They'd love to help you. They'd love to talk to you about that. That, that, that. That's something the two of you or three of you or four of you could, could begin to work out. That the fruit of repentance might be that God would, would, would challenge us uh, in that way. Listen, Jesus drew to himself people who didn't love very well. People who, like us, had to cry out, as we sang earlier, teach us to love, because it's not natural. It's not normal. Diotrephes is normal. The gospel's not. And so we need each other and we need the Spirit of God to take this great stuff and apply it to our lives so that we can take a tiny step towards manifesting our Savior in us. Listen, the best thing that people can say about us as a church and the best thing that people could say about you as a Christian is, well, look at that gospel Look at what it's doing in that person. Look at how they love. Let's pray. Lord, would uh, you do that work in us? Uh, help us. Lord, this is hard, and we confess to being defensive, self-seeking, angry, uh, unsubmissive. And so we need your spirit uh, to change us. Lord, thanks today for dear diatrophies. And Lord, I pray that uh, uh, he was renewed and restored. Thankfully, he fell into the hands of a loving man like John. And I pray that you would use, you use that relationship to heal and restore for the glory of, of, of Jesus and for the good of the church. Would you do that work in us in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? Amen. So let's uh, use this uh, prayer of confession that's printed uh, in the bulletin. Almighty and merciful Father, you have called us to be your people and have made us one body. Yet we have not lived like we are one body. We have not loved one another as we ought. Selfish ambition has gripped us 
and we have failed to look out for others' interests above our own. Envy and rivalry have ruled us, and we have refused to love those who are different from ourselves. We have hardened our hearts at the offenses of others and missed rejoicing at the proclaiming of Christ. We have not honored one another as those in whom Christ dwells. Forgive us for our offenses against you and go on to subdue everything in us that is contrary to your purposes. By the power of your Spirit, make us a church marked by your loving kindness through Christ our Lord. Amen. Believers, hear these words of encouragement. Far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. Mm -hmm. 